The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Exodus is easy to find. It's the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 18, I'm going to pray, and Lindsay's going to read our passage. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this time of gathered worship already. We gather now to worship you in and through your word. Help us to do so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming with you, to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people 
chiefs of thousands, of tens, of fifties, and of hundreds. And of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. As God's work advances, how can we avoid the instability or difficulty or even pain that sometimes results? That's the big question I want to consider with you. As God's work advances, how can we protect against, if you will, the instability or difficulty or even pain that, that does sometimes result from the conflict in Acts chapter 6 to the conflict leading to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 to the present day, we see this happening. The Reformation in Germany, great work of God in the 16th century, also led to a peasant's revolt in which thousands were slaughtered. The Reformation in England led to the rise of Puritanism, a theologically rich, purifying movement that also led in ways to a civil, civil war. The First Great Awakening was a great revival in colonial America and England and brought great division between people and pastors and churches. The Second Great Awakening involved dramatic preaching, conversions to Christ, and doctrinal confusion that spawned cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. When God's work advances, some instability, some difficulty, some pain even, sometimes results. Some of you have experienced that personally. I know you have. Some significant work of God ended up in personal pain for you. There was real gospel advance that was mishandled, bringing hurtful fallout. We, we want to see God's work advance. Don't misunderstand. We want to see God's work advance in us, through us, and around the world. But how can we also, also see stability and, and longevity in God's good work among us? What is needed as God's good work advances? Right here. That's an important question for you and for me as we engage in God's work together at Grace Church. And Exodus 18 illustrates an answer. Not the only answer, not the only answer, but one answer, a helpful answer, a lesson that unfolds for us in three stages. Stage one, let's call, God's work is advancing. Stage one, God's work is advancing. Jethro, priest of Midian and Moses' father-in-law, brings to Moses his wife, Moses' wife, Zipporah and their two sons. Perhaps Moses had sent Zipporah and their boys up to Jethro and Midian for their safety while he was engaged in Egypt. But now a family reunion takes place. And hopefully, hopefully it was a good reunion between Moses and Zipporah. We're not told. 
God focuses us on the interaction between Jethro, his father-in-law, and Moses. Moses tells his father-in-law about all God did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The plagues, the Passover, the deliverance through the Reed Sea, and the hardship they've endured since then. The, The lack of water, the lack of food, the attack by a hostile army from which God had delivered them each time. God's work has been advancing throughout the book of Exodus. But now we're shown an example of God's work advancing in a very personal, significant way. Jethro hears all of this, and notice verse 9. Verse 9, Jethro rejoices, rejoices for all the good that the Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, had done to Israel. And then Jethro says in verse 10, Blessed be, or Praise be, praise be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, now I know, now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, is greater than all gods. Jethro acknowledges maybe for the first time the superiority of the true and living God over every other so-called God that he has previously worshipped. In verse 12, in verse 12, he offers a burnt offering, a sacrifice wholly devoted to God for worship, and then has a sacrificial meal with Moses and the boys. Jethro is a priest of Midian. Verse 1, he's a priest of Midian. He's from a people who become Israel's enemies. In the book of Numbers, the Midianites plan to deceive and defeat Israel. Israel's going to be at war with Midian through the time of Joshua all the way to the time of Gideon in the book of Judges. But Jethro, this Midianite, represents some first fruits of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Do you recall? God says to Abraham, buddy, he didn't say buddy. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, the nation, the people of Israel. I'm going to give you a land where they're heading right now. And in you, all families, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Jethro represents that promise. God's promise to save without distinction. Or to bless savingly without distinction. God initiated that plan through Abraham, then Israel, and fulfilled it in his son. In Jesus, God brings people to himself without distinction, no matter who you are, no matter who you are. No matter how you identify yourself, racially or culturally, Midianite or Israelite, white, black, Asian or Hispanic, no matter your family status identity, single, married, kids, no kids, empty nester, No matter how you would define your sexual identity, whether you'd say you are opposite-sex attracted, same-sex attracted, or you experience something of both, 
no matter your vocational identity, white collar or blue collar, no matter if you identify more with the Ivy League or the bowling league, regardless, no matter who you are, this invitation is to you to find your primary identity, your ultimate identity in Jesus Christ as a loved child of God. Jethro is an example of how God saves without distinction, but not without exception. You must turn to Christ in repentance from sin and trust in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God. And he will. And if you've not believed like that, we're so glad you're here. You're in the right place today. Please turn to Christ and trust him. Cry out to him. Surrender to him to bring you to God. And he will. And for those who have believed, well, let us long for more Jethro's. Friends, let us long for more Jethro's. Let, let, us, let us pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field here and around the world, and including us. Let us continue to support people like Jasmine in Mexico and Seda and Emma in Japan. Friends, God's work is advancing throughout the book of Exodus and here in a personal and significant way. So back to our question. How does God's work as it advances get sustained? How does God's work as it advances get sustained in a good and healthy way? Well, stage two, God's ministry is to be shared. God's ministry, secondly, is to be shared. Look at verse 13 now, please. Verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. That's a long day. Imagine you're at the DMV, waiting in line from morning until evening. Would you enjoy that day? Would that be a good day to you? Probably not. You would probably not be happy, and for good reason. And Jethro sees this. He says in verse 14 to Moses, what is this that you are doing for the people? I love how Jethro is a straight shooter. Not every father-in-law should try to pull this off. What is this that you are doing? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Well, Moses explains his good intentions. He's trying to care for the people. The people need counsel. They need help. They need care. They have disputes. They have problems. Jethro responds in verse 17, what, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing, the, the burden is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Notice that repetition. Alone, Moses. You're going it alone and you're going to wear out the picture in that idea of wearing out is of a leaf that withers on a tree and falls to the ground. Today we would say burnout. 
Moses, you're going to burn out. Let's make a connection here to our own lives. Gordon MacDonald describes burnout as, as like a sinkhole. You ever seen a sinkhole on the news in a place like Florida? A sinkhole happens, as I understand it, when an underground stream or body of water sort of dries up, and then the ground above it that was being supported by that water caves in. It sinks in. It collapses on itself. It's like when our inner life, our inner life with God starts to dry up. But we're doing and doing and doing on the outside. And without that inner support, we're going to cave in, collapse in on ourselves. I mean, if you find yourself here saying, there are just enough, not enough, not enough hours in the day. you might be doing more than God has called you to do right now. Now, if you have a newborn or multiple small children, that doesn't count, all right? You just, we're going to pray for you. But if you find yourself saying, there's just not enough time in the day, look, I think you're likely doing more than God has called you to. And you might need to strengthen your inner life as well. Consider starting with a healthy Sabbath practice to rest body and soul. Jethro says, Moses, you're going to collapse. You're going to cave in. You're doing it alone. You see, Moses' mistake is a common one in ministry. Pastors and leaders often seek to play the ministry superhero perhaps with the best of intentions. Like Stony, uh, Stony, Tony Stark, who could put on his Iron Man suit and go anywhere and do anything, pastors and leaders can think they have some kind of suit like that because it all rests on them. Instead, pastors, leaders, and all of us need to say with John the Baptist, I am not the Christ. I am not Jesus. Only God can be everywhere and do anything. We are human. I am. You are. That means we are finite. We are limited. Pastors and leaders need to think of themselves this way. And church members need to think of pastors and leaders this way. As human. As finite. As Profoundly limited. Author and pastor Zach Eswine was once addressing a church who had experienced a kind of leadership failure, and he was, he was searching for what to say, and then he blurted out what was on his mind. He said, Jonathan Edwards, greatest theologian of North America, Jonathan Edwards had to pass gas. Jonathan Edwards had gas. He was trying to humanize leaders, pastors. Friends, please don't look to me or your other elders for only what Jesus can do and only what Jesus can provide. You will be 
greatly disappointed. And you will not be entrusting yourself to God like you could and should. So Jethro's counsel to Moses in this error he was making is spread, Moses, spread the ministry load. He says, you keep teaching in verse 20. You keep on teaching. God's instruction is vitally important, but so is the administration of God's justice, and so is helping people with their conflicts and disputes. So his solution is find men of character. Find men who fear God and won't take a bribe. Find men of integrity and position them to care for and serve the thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Moses, yes, you handle the hard stuff as it were, but spread the load, buddy. Find men of character to do that. It's similar to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in the selection of elders in the local church. Friends, as God's work advances, this passage is exemplifying for us how we need structures. Structures for shared ministry. Structures for shared ministry. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne describe this relationship as that of a a vine and its trellis. They say the vine, the vine is God's work in God's people by God's spirit, and vine growth is primary. The work in our souls is primary. But a good vine needs a trellis holding it up so it can grow in a healthy way. Often churches put too much stress on the trellis But Exodus 18 reminds us that a good trellis is still needed. A structure for shared ministry. Now, for us here, for us here, that begins with a plurality of elders. And friends, we are served by some wonderful non-staff elders. I get to serve with four men of character, four men of integrity and humility who love you. And please don't tell them this, but unlike myself, they receive no compensation. They are entirely volunteers. Don't tell them. They put in Hours and hours of time because they love God and love you deeply. Deeply. If you could hear them praying for you. So I want... I want to make a request on the basis of this passage. I want to ask you that today or later this week, you would please, please, please communicate with Steve, Marshall, Rick, and Dan, and their amazing dear wives, Sharon, Janice, Margie, and Melanie. Would you please, please, please send them a text, send them an email, grab them by the lapels later today, and just thank them. 
I know, I know you do this already, but would you thank them? Friends, our, our vine here would be in a heck of a lot of trouble. And I'm not even sure it would exist, humanly speaking, apart from them. While we're at it, it would also be appropriate to thank our other small group leaders, Eric and Cheryl Lemkule, Scott and Jossie Moon, and Joe and Lindsay Helmers. They facilitate a structure for member-to-member vine-like ministry, and that's vital. Friends, that home group structure is where so much vine growth and vine care happens in our midst, one to another. While you're at it, it would be good to thank our deacons and our ministry leaders, for they are a big, big part of our structure for shared ministry. Carmen and Dustin Wood, Sharon Farrington, Annie Farrington, Lindsay Helmers, Melanie Arthur, Colin Mullery, Eric Lemkiel, Jane Richards, and anyone else I accidentally forgot. Oh, just to say thank you means a lot. Let me, let me just add, for all of you serving, your ministry is vital. Your ministry is vital. Friends, we structure so that your ministry can happen. And it need not be an official program. Please freely minister to one another. If you are waiting for that invitation, wait no longer. Freely minister to one another, please, please, please. And help our structured ministry. Look, children's ministry has real needs right now. We we want to avoid the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the work done by 20% of the people. Friends, God calls all of us and gifts all of us to be a body where every part plays its part. As God's work advances, ministry must be shared. I think that's the main burden of this passage. But how does that happen here? There's a third piece to see. Stage three, God's wisdom is is heeded. God's wisdom is heeded. This might seem obvious, but I think it's fascinating. Look at verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all, all that he had said. Literally, Moses obeyed his father-in-law. Moses heeded his father-in-law in everything he suggested. If I was Moses, I would have been tempted to say, I know what I'm doing, Jethro. I've been doing it for a while. I'm the guy who led the people out of Egypt. Have you forgotten? I don't take orders from any non-Jewish newbie believer like you. But Moses is far more humble He implements Jethro's exact strategy to the letter. But does it strike you as a little strange? D.A. Carson, scholar Carson asks, why, why is Jethro at best on the fringes of God's covenant people? Why is he allowed to play such an extraordinary role as counselor and confidant of Moses? Why? Why is this newbie allowed to restructure the entire nation? Well, I think Carson's answer is helpful. 
God may use the means of common grace, common grace to instruct and enrich his people. There's no word from God here. No direct revelation. Change the structure. By God's common grace, his grace given to all, wisdom comes at a crucial moment for the nation. Moses embraces this as God's wisdom, it would seem, though from an unexpected or strange source. So it would just be good to ask here, how should we think about God's common grace as means of truth and wisdom? How should we think about that? What what should we do with, quote-unquote, secular sources of truth and wisdom? That's a debated issue in the church, and that's why I wanted to address it briefly. What do we do with, quote-unquote, secular sources of truth and wisdom? The early church figure Tertullian famously said, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? He was saying, what does Greek philosophy have to do with our theology? And so we keep it at arm's length, essentially. The other approach is often called plundering the Egyptians, like when the Israelites left Egypt, and they plundered the Egyptians. We plunder the Egyptians when we seek to benefit from, quote-unquote, secular sources. It's the belief that all truth is God's truth. So we seek to learn all we can from disciplines like scientific discovery, psychology, and sociology. Exodus 18 illustrates the latter approach. Moses implements Jethro's completely secular advice. Jethro's counsel is common sense military strategy. That's all it is. It is common sense stuff from organizing a military. It's completely, quote-unquote, secular, but truly helpful. Now, I, I raise this issue. You might wonder why. I raise this issue because over the last decade plus, I have changed... I think we have changed, and I want to make sure you know that. We want to make sure you know that. I think you do. I think you do, but it's good to make sure. My pastoral training was pastors handle any and every counseling situation. No ifs, ands, or buts. So I would never, no, never refer a church member to a professional counselor or therapist, but I have changed over the years. I think we have changed somewhat, and I think for the better. Friends, there are counselors and therapists with with specialized knowledge. And if we're discerning, if we're discerning, if we're discerning, we can benefit. Let me give you an example. People with deep depression. I can think of two people like that that I have cared for over the last 25 plus years. Two. A professional counselor or therapist might see two people like that in a month or a week or a day. Now, that means they're often going to have much more specialized knowledge and training. Not that pastors have no role 
and not that counseling is all created equal, okay? I'm not saying that. Some is great, some is not so great. So we must be discerning. We test all things with Scripture, rightly interpreted. With God's Word rightly interpreted as our highest authority to which we always submit, we do help members find particularly helpful counselors and therapists in particularly difficult situations. And here's why. Because wisdom and truth can come to us through a variety of sources by God's common grace, like happens in Exodus 18. Let me add, there is no shame for benefiting from such help and wisdom if you are doing so. There is no shame in that. Not an ounce of shame if you are seeking to get the help that you need. Someone says to you, I'm seeing such and such counselor, and he or she is really helping me. The right response is, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And let me add, please involve God's people. Please involve your pastors because we love you. Please involve the people around you because they love you. Back to our main question. Back to our main question. How can we see? Stability and longevity in God's work among us. The simple answer here is heed God's wisdom to share in God's ministry. Heed God's wisdom to share in God's ministry. As God's work advances in us and through us and to the Jethro's of this world, friends, let us heed God's wisdom to share in God's ministry. Let me exhort you to long for more of God's work and more Jethro's. And let us all share in God's ministry in Grace Church and let us heed God's wisdom for, for wisdom from another strange source has rescued you who believe. Wisdom from a most unexpected source has rescued you who believe. Friends, are you aware? Are you aware that crucifixion, crucifixion, like Christ was crucified, crucifixion was not just to kill, but to humiliate and shame as a deterrent. The crucified hung in immense pain, sometimes for days, in their own excrement. Crucifixion was so shameful in the first century, you would not utter the word cross in polite company. But God says the cross of his son is the wisdom of God for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The ultimate example of wisdom from a strange source is Christ crucified. Friends, it is Christ crucified and risen who advances his work in us and among us. It is Christ crucified and risen who is the true vine, the source of all ministry fruitfulness, and Christ crucified and risen is the wisdom of God for all who believe. Let's turn to him right now. Hmm.
And maybe you're here feeling burned out and exhausted. Maybe you're here not sure you have a part to play. Maybe you're here needing to heed some wisdom God has been bringing to you and you've resisted that. Whatever it is, let's respond to God together. In the silence of your heart. Most of all, trusting the ultimate wisdom of God in Christ crucified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this most interesting and unusual chapter. Thank you that you set the preaching agenda for us so that you cause us to think about things and address things that perhaps we wouldn't have. We thank you for that. Lord, for the exhausted among us, would you strengthen them by your grace? For those wondering how you might use them, would you knit them in to the shared ministry here? For those needing wisdom, direct our hearts ultimately upward and outward to see Jesus right now, crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.